Hello and welcome to the Start a Ripple podcast. I'm your host, India Pearson, and I believe ripples are made when we connect movement with nature, not only for our mind and body, but also the environment too. This podcast is a platform for me to chat with inspiring folk who feel the same and have some fascinating stories to tell from their experiences. I hope the conversations that come from this podcast will encourage you to get outside, move, dream big, and see what happens from the ripples you create. Time to introduce my guest. Michelle Griffith Robinson represented Great Britain for two decades as a triple jumper competing to the highest level, including the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta, and became the first woman to jump over 14 metres in the Commonwealth. When she retired in 2006, Michelle realised just how much physical fitness is attached to a positive mindset, and combined her passion for fitness and personal growth as a trainer and life coach, both for private clients and the Dane Kelly Homes Trust. After moving to Devon three years ago, Michelle realised the power nature was having on not only her own health, but her family's too, and is now an advocate for the great outdoors, especially trekking on Exmoor. She says, I want to be a role model for my children and inspire others to achieve their dreams. I know that making time for self-care and well-being is an integral part of living a healthy, balanced lifestyle. Hi, Michelle, and welcome to the Start a Ripple podcast. Thank you so much for having me, India. It's, yeah, really excited. Thank you. Okay, so I'd like to start with where your ripples began. If you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to where you are today. So um, I, I love the name Ripples as well, by the way, India. Oh. I think it's a fantastic name. Where does your ripple begin, you know? And um, where did it start for me? Well, my ripples began as a 12-year-old little girl from Wembley at the running track. Um, nobody to look after me on a Sunday morning. My mum refused to let me stay at home and have tea and toast and watch cartoons. And um, so she said, no, we've got to get out. You've got to keep active. And even back then, you know, it was such an important thing for my mum, for all of us to be active, physically active. You know, having three older brothers as well, she always endorsed like going to Kung Fu, going to karate, playing football, playing cricket. And the same with me. So she's like, no, you're no exception to this. You're going to get out. And then fortunate for me, I found my niche very early on. So from 12, I was at the track. And my mum still says today that's the best pound she's ever invested in me. And that's where the journey began. So that's where my ripples began. Yep. And then you went on to compete for GB. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, I often say to people, I, I didn't know that I was going to end up being becoming an Olympian and, you know, representing my country for over two decades. I didn't know that. But what I did know was that I had a passion and a purpose. Um, and when you find your passion and purpose quite early on, it makes life makes life quite nice, to be honest with you. You've got direction, you know, and I think that's one thing that we all know we need. We need direction. So I always knew what direction I was going in because I had my sport. You know, I always had a community there. Um, so little did I know when I was 12 that I was going to end up going to the Olympic Games, the World Championships, Commonwealth Games. Um, being the first woman to jump over 14 meters no in the triple jump I didn't know that um, so I, yeah I'm, I was gonna say I'm lucky I'm lucky for the experiences I had but I created that luck myself yeah I, I can completely agree with that and 
I actually feel like I found my purpose or, or started to find my purpose in my late 20s. And I often get quite jealous, actually, of people who find their purpose a little bit earlier on. But then saying that, I've had people on this podcast who have spoken to me about finding their purpose later in their, in their 50s. So I think it's really interesting how we can discover it at different stages in our lives. But what a wonderful feeling when we do find that purpose. Um, now, you obviously spent many years training to compete, whereas many of us just train to keep fit and healthy. So I'm really interest, interested to know what did your training regime look like? Um, I, I think for me, you, you know, and you are right when you say most people train to keep fit. As an Olympian, as, a, as an elite performer, as a high performer, you, you, you know, your training is very tailored. You know, it's not just, oh, I'll get up and see what the weather's like today. No, you already know what your schedule's going to look like. So it would look anything like from six days a week, I'd be training. Um, I'd have a day off. Some days I'd have two sessions on one day. I'd have a physio appointment in between that. I'd have a massage twice a week. I'd have to also do like ice buckets and, you know, to recuperate, to, to replenish the legs again. Um, it involves a lot of sleep, a lot of rest, a lot of downtime. Um, a lot of being very meticulous about, you know what, I'm not going to go out shopping now because I need to preserve my legs for the session. So your, your life was very much surrounded by your athletics. My sport was my thing, my main thing. So if you imagine a circle, and for our listeners out there, a circle was me in the middle, my life, track and field, and everything else around it would have to work around Michelle and the track life. Mm. And I think that's one thing when you see the likes of Dina Asher Smith and, you know, high performance people like herself, you, you have to really give her the credit because there's so many sacrifices mm. that you have to make in order to become X. And that's in anything in life, you know, mm. be, to become a, you know, a surgeon, a plastic surgeon, to become a, a teacher, you have to, you have to sacrifice, you have to put in the time. Mm -hmm. um, so my week for training was weights, running, circuits, lots of, lots and lots of fitness stuff. Um, days where I didn't want to do it because I can't just pretend and say, oh yeah, oh, every day I was up for it. No, I wasn't. Some sessions I was sick, I was vomiting because that's the end result. To be the very best you have to do and put in the hours. I think it's interesting hearing you talk about the fact that you needed a lot of rest because as a spectator, you don't see that side and I don't think you appreciate it either. And I can imagine you know, those times when you did have free time and you could have gone out to spend it with friends and family, you had to rest and you had to make that choice. And I imagine that must have been quite a hard thing to grasp at times. Especially in your 20s, where you do want to be going out and having a really nice time mm. and drinking cocktails and going to nice clubs and bars. And, and actually you had the access to, because, you know, you, you've built up a little bit of a name so you can get into these places, but you have to make a couple of decisions. And I must say, there's a few times that I would ring up a couple of my friends who I won't name, <laughs> who are Olympic champions now, and say, come on, should we do it? Yeah, yeah, let's go out, let's go out. Let's have <laughs> a sneaky one, make sure no one's watching, no papers are there papping you. Um, so, but... That would generally happen on a Saturday night after we competed on the Saturday, if we was, if was in the yeah. UK. So, you know, there was, but, you know, this, it, I would say the commitment is the one thing that I need to really get across. Mm -hmm. When you don't see the, the, you don't see the backstory behind all these high performing athletes. You don't see it. Yeah. Yeah. We just see the surface, you know, the winning the medals, but there's so much more that goes into that. So how did you find the transition then? from training as a competitive athlete 
to training for yourself to keep yourself just fit and healthy what happened yeah great question i would say that first of all i have to let everybody know that whilst i was still competing i i was i set up a personal training company and um i set it up as a solo person and i started it 22 years ago um and it was it was incidentally when my funding got stopped from national lottery i was funded by national lottery and then all different funders i wasn't performing so I, my funding got stopped I set up a personal training company so i already then had a base of something to do because if you can imagine when that phone stops ringing when you stop competing it's quite a lonely place and that's something that i have encouraged people especially athletes current athletes now that are looking to to retire after these olympic games this year um i say to make sure you find your niche so that when that phone does stop you don't spiral into deep depression because it does happen a hell of a lot it's something that the people have spoken about, but it happens a lot when you get dropped or when you, your, your career can end through injury, you then think, what's next? So for me, I have to add that in. I know it wasn't the exact question you asked, but I have to add that in. Find your niche whilst you're still doing your sport. Find, find your next thing. What's your next thing you're going to do next? So for me, I found my personal training. So it was easy then for me to start slotting in to keeping fit naturally. So when I retired in 2006 after the Commonwealth Games in Australia, um, I already had a, a solid platform of what does training look like for me. So then I started doing 10K runs, half marathons, 5Ks, something that I was never, ever interested in and I was never going to do because I'm a triple jumper. I only need to run 30 metres and hop, step and jump into a sandpit. You know, <laughs> so I started finding different things. So I changed my, my um, training completely. I also took up kickboxing um, yeah. and, and that was to um again to stimulate another side of me you know I'd always been you know doing circuits and stuff and I was relatively fit I also had children so it gave me another stimulus to lose weight another thing to think right I want to be fit fit for purpose you know I was never one of these people that needs to be a size eight a size 10 I want to be fit I want to be athletic I want to I want to be able to get out there and run my best version of me you know I want to be able to slay in my lane I don't watch what anybody else is doing I, if I can go and run a 10K and I can run it in 70 minutes, brilliant. That's my best, my mm -hmm. personal best. You know, if I want to try and take up surfing for the first time, that's me trying something different. Mm -hmm. So it's all about encouraging people. And this is the reason why I come on these podcasts all the time. Go and find you. Find what makes you float. Try something different. And you'll be surprised what, what, what comes out of it. Yeah. And I think when I first wanted to ask you this question, I was looking at it from... A physical point of view but listening to your answer there has made me realize it's, it's it was it's more about the mental side of it and grasping that side and, and obviously we need to move for our physical body but we need to move for our mind too and it, and it can be really easy to forget that so easy to, to to get it to be blurred and you know when people talk about physical physical health you know i talk about physical and mental health being in good physical and mental health you know and and that's not about you know having a saying oh yeah you know i'm doing I'm eating salads every day and you know I'm, I'm just having the keto diet or i'm just doing this or i'm cutting out this no what are you doing to replenish your mind mm -hmm. and that's about trying something new yeah and and having the courage to do to do that to try something new because it can be really scary trying something new you know if you've never surfed before let's say and you go down to the beach and there's loads of pros in the water you just think what am i doing 
Um, but you've got to give it a go because you never know where it's going to take you. You never know where it's going to take you. You never know what new experiences it's going to it's going to add to you. And also as well, what it then does, and which is another thing as well, which I've realised as well in my late forties, um, it it allows you to meet new people. Yeah. Again, yeah. because there, there's now a new set of people that got that I've loved surfing, that I've loved you know um, going out in open water swimming. So I, I promised a, a friend of mine called Jude um, from here. We're both born on exactly the same day, October the 6th. We're both going to be 50 in October. And she said to me, right, for our 50th birthday. I was like, I think it's a school day, so I think we'll both be working. But around that time, I'm going to go with her and do an open water swimming. Yeah, yeah. so I've made that pact. Because it's something that I wouldn't ordinarily do. Yep, it'll take you out of your comfort zone and it'll feel so adventurous. Adventurous and um, rejuvenating and invigorating and... And all those things that make you feel alive, feel buzzing. Yeah. And when you talk about movement, you know, movement doesn't have to be going in the gym, going, you know, dancing could be a movement. Listening, yeah. listening to music and dancing around your kitchen like nobody's watching. Movement, feeling alive. Yeah. You know, and I, and I had a very old client who unfortunately passed away last year. He was very old. And his words to me was, and his strap line to me was, movement is life. Mm, movement is life. Oh, I love that wise words there um, now I know that after competing as a professional athlete you retired and came, became a personal trainer but you also trained as a life coach so I'd love to hear more about more about this why you decided to become a life life coach and what is your approach to guiding people on their journey through life um I started mentoring when I retired in 2006, my best friend Marcia said to me, Michelle, you'd be amazing as a mentor. Why don't you, you know, start giving back to UK sport and different organizations. Some of the life lessons you learned by mentoring young people, mentoring women, girls. I was like, absolutely. So I started mentoring, which was fam fabulous. Really, really good. And um, really enjoyed mentoring. And I, and I actually worked for Dame Kelly Homes Trust, which is from Dame Kelly Homes. And I've gone through the whole ranks with Kelly and it's so lovely to see our relationship is so beautiful because we've known each other since we were little kids. She was 17, I was 15. I went on my first Youth Olympic Games, Olympic Games with Kelly when I was 15 and being a little scrawny little whippersnapper with Afro puffs and, and Kelly was there <laughs> guiding me, you know? And so it's so nice to see how 35 years on, we're still very good. And I work for her charity, the Dame Kelly Homes Trust. So when you're talking about the Dame Kelly Homes Trust, that is giving back to young people. So it's a mentoring program that works between, for the age of 16 to 25, you're always giving back to young people. It's called a give back team. At the same time, it's upskilling retired athletes like myself or current athletes that are due to retire. So that they've, could, they've also built up a, a book of, a bank of resources so that they can take that into the real world as well. So the Dame Kelly Home Trust has been incredible. Youth Sport Trust, incredible to help young people, but also athletes as well. So I went into mentoring and then the Dame Kelly Home Trust paid for me to do my life coaching qualifications. So I paid for, to do my life coaching qualifications and I've been doing life coaching. I've been doing it for years anyway. Um, so I've been doing it for about six, seven years now. Absolutely love watching people's journeys travel. I love watching people grow as individuals. And what tools do I give them? They've got all the tools. The difference between coaching and mentoring and I always have to say this to my clients, my new clients that come on board. Mentoring is I'm sharing some of my experiences and acting as your, like your traveling companion. So I'll then give, an, I might give an input and say, you know what, India, you know, when I did this, I did this. But coaching is completely different. Coaching is, I will ask you open 
questions for you to answer and for you to unlock all your answers. It's you that's got the key to the door. I just say, how does it make you feel? And then you start, you'll start finding your own answers. So coaching has been so powerful for so many people. I have, and actually over the pandemic, it's been the busiest time I've, I've had. I've been doing so much, it's been, it's been incredible. I've been doing so many life coaching workshops. I, you know, I did coaching workshops for, for Pfizer actually, um, for some, for, for their apprenticeship schemes. I've done some stuff for Nike, you know, some of their master trainers. I've done life coaching workshops and just about looking at them as individuals. What's next for you guys in your growth? So, you know, I, I think there's a massive thing in having a life coach. I've got a life coach myself. Um, I've also got another, like my, I mentioned my best friend, Marcia, who holds me accountable as like my mentor. Mm. I've got a couple of best friends that I, you know, I really home into, you know, that, that will, when I'm going through challenging times, which I have done of late, they'll turn around and say, well, Mish, what about your self-care? So it's about, you know, really utilizing some of my skills and finding people that can be supportive to me. And I just feel that life coaching does give you that. I'm not a psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. For a psychotherapist, that's something completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have yeah. many people that have a psychotherapist and have me as their life coach as well. Yeah. And life coaching is something I keep hearing more about. And I only ever hear positive things about it too. And, you know, you're using the word accountable and I can totally get that. It's another support system. Um, and obviously it's great to have friends and family there for support but I think it's important to have someone who isn't either one of those as well for a different point of view new perspective fresh eyes I call it fresh eyes Mm. so fresh eyes and yet again just the questions of you know how what why you know why do you feel that way tell me why when are you going to do that so you said you're going to do x so can you give me a date on that Mm. well what date are you going to do that oh I I'm going to do it um, in a couple of weeks. Okay, so be more specific then. Mm. And, and how, how realistic is it? So I, I, I will be, I'm quite challenging in my approach in terms of, you know, you said you want this, India. You said you want to go and swim, you know, the, the ocean. When are you going to do that? How are you going to start it? Mm. Give me some dates and times. Who are you going to check in with? Because sometimes we, we're, very, we're very eager, you know, look at January the 1st. Yeah, I'm going to hit the gym. I'm going to do this. Da, da, da. And that dissipates very quickly because you're not held accountable. Yeah, and it, and it can be so easy to duck out. Um, you know, this morning I woke up at 6 a.m. to watch the sunrise, but I was lying in bed when my alarm went off going, I'm not going to get up, I'm not going to get up, I'm not going to get up. And it, it took a lot of effort for me to get myself out of bed. Um, and obviously I'm so grateful that I did, but I set myself that challenge the night before. But it's, it's weird, isn't it? You know, we stop ourselves doing the things that we want to do. Absolutely. You know, I've got a friend of mine who's started going out running and, um, you know, she's been running for the last seven, eight weeks now. And, that, and I said to her, what's been the spark in you changing that? And now all of a sudden you don't even need anybody to, to tell you. She just said, I've just told myself I deserve better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Happiness yeah. starts from within me yeah. and I deserve better. Yeah. Being kind to yourself. Being kind to yourself. I deserve yeah. better. I think there's no better thing. I deserve better. Now, I know that throughout your life, you've moved from London to Canterbury and then Canterbury to Devon three years ago. So you've slowly moved further and further away from London towards the countryside. And I'd love to know how, you know, that's affected the way that you train now that you're 
in the midst of nature, how it's affected your work as a life coach, and also how it's affected your family life too. You know, what have you gained from these moves and what have you lost? Well, I think I think my biggest thing was um, moving out of London 11 years ago was, was a big thing for me because of being a Londoner, born and bred. I had done a stint in the Middle East as well, so I was never adverse to moving around. But being with my husband, Matt, who's a former Welsh um, rugby international, um, he's always been up for like moving around and trying different things. You know, he's like a nomad. I'm like, oh my God, where's he moving me now? <laughs> um, we did 10 years in Canterbury or just shy of 10 years in Canterbury. That was very different again, because you've got a lot more beaches and everything else and, you know, Margate on your doorstep and everything else. So that was very different. You've got deal, you've got the most idyllic places around there. Um, so I slowly, slowly had the mindset of, do you know what? I'm okay to move. And then when this Devon thing came about and I call it the Devon thing, and my husband moved for, for work, I was very apprehensive. And um, I remember my husband's words saying to me, Mish, honestly, it's remote. And I'm like, mm, how remote, Matt? You know, because I had to really challenge him, how remote? He said, it's remote, babe. And, and he was absolutely right. It's incredibly remote. And I think that it took me a while to adjust to that um, in terms of, you know, you have to really drive out 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes to get to your nearest Tesco's or Sainsbury's or whatever. So that in itself was a transition. Um, but I think the turning point for me where I really, truly appreciated how lucky and blessed I was to see another part of the world, and I call it the world, the country, lockdown. Mm. Lockdown made me think to myself, so we live in a boarding school. We're very fortunate. We live in a beautiful boarding school where you have acres of land, lots of green by Exmoor, you know, which I, we love walking. So it was fantastic. I think that made me really, truly appreciate what, I had around me, not just for me, I've got three kids as well, seven, 14 and 17. But how blessed we were to live in a countryside, to have fresh air, to have woodlands, to have trees and not to have smog. And yeah. incidentally, from a health point of view, it also helped enable my son's asthma has increased and got better since being down here as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the power of nature is amazing. And, um, you know, I, I live by the Kent coast. I'm really lucky to live by the sea. And I take my dog on a walk by the beach every day. And I've had so many friends and family members messaging me over this time saying the first thing we do, we'll do when we can is come down to visit you. We just want to see the sea. And I've probably not appreciated how much of a healing effect it's had on my mind and body during this time absolutely yeah it, it's so important so now that you're in the middle of the countryside how are you incorporating nature into your daily exercise regime um you know are you going out for runs on the moors are, are you using the beach and the sea um how has where you've moved changed the way that you move um, in terms of the moors, we will go out on long walks and I'll go out on the runs around the hills and the hills around here are serious, man. They're deadly. They're serious. <laughs> oh my gosh. The triangle, which is what we call around here, is deadly. So yes, being outdoors is huge. You know, being in the first lockdown with my son and we've just, we would actually turn around and say, right, we've got 45 minutes in between lessons or whatever. We're going out to the woods. We'd, we'd build little dens. I mean, the dens weren't, didn't amount to anything, but memories for him but just digging up mud and being outside, whatever the weather. And I think that for me is being able to raise a black family in the countryside. For me, I feel a very proud mummy. 
mm. because I quite I could have quite easily have stayed within my comfort zone because communities are very limited here in terms of black cultures very limited down here mm. um but I feel blessed that I can dip into London when I want to to see my friends and family but I also can come home to the countryside and breathe and give my son and my daughters a different outlook of life mm -hmm. that you wouldn't necessarily have had we have plans tomorrow just go to the beach just walk the beach we play bat and ball cricket we make do yeah nothing buy a bag of chips and sit on the beach we went and got pizzas and just sat sat there nothing extravagant nothing over the top just in just trampy clothes just joggers but just being able to appreciate nature but giving those lessons to my children is incredible. One of the things that I do do, and I'm actually, I'm, well, hopefully somebody will listen to me and gift me a bike. I need a new bike. <laughs> My son's got the best bike going. He's got a froggy bike that we invested in him. And I need a new bike. And me and my son go bike riding. And actually, that's the connection that me and him do together. And I love it. Yeah, I think it's really special when you can find something to do with a family member or a friend. I love it's that. You know, it's it's your special thing and the things that you'll see together and the memories you'll make together will be ones that will will last last a lifetime. Um, yeah, I guess you will need a good bike if you've got all those hills. You need a really good bike. So, um, India, if you know anybody that wants to gift me a bike, I need a good bike for the summer to keep doing those hills with my son. But I love it and I would not have had that experience had I been in London. Yeah, so, so you definitely feel that, you know, being in nature during this period has really helped your mental health and beyond. Um, I, I would definitely say that being where I be, living where I've lived in the last for the last three years, I I feel very very fortunate. The benefits it's had on me, my well being, and my outlook on life. Yeah, and it could be really scary, you know, moving away from your community. And I guess in Canterbury, you would have been what, only an hour's train ride from London, so not too far away. Moving to Devon, you are you are further away, but I think it can be about the perspective you take on it. You know, yes, you are a three to four hour car ride away, but you can use that time to listen to a podcast and, and just have a little bit of, of me time in the car. Um, and yeah, you know, I know there's going to be a lot of people wanting to make the change after after lockdown. Um, and, and it can be scary, but you're walking proof that it's worth it. And I would say to them every day of the week, somebody rang me the other day and said to me, you know, we're looking to move to Devon. Somebody else rang me and said, Michelle, you know, what's your opinion on, on you know, moving, moving out of London? I said, do it whilst you're young um, so you can appreciate what's around you. Before, when we used to hear about Devon and Cornwall when I was younger, but it would be people going to retire. Mm -hmm. Let your children see there's different sides of things, your train journey away. Yeah, mm -hmm. they can have the city life. And generally young people want the city life anyway when they go back to university for work and everything else. I said, but for growing up children, there's no better place for me than being outside of London. That's just me, my personal point of view. I want my kids to be able to grow up, you know, with, with trees, with nature, um, appreciating what's outside, being able to get out, you know, and, I'm, and I will tell anybody, and everybody knows me, I don't like rain, but <laughs> I've got the wellies, I've got my raincoat, I've got my, yeah. my waterproofs, and I'm just like, my husband's like, nobody's never died from rain, babe, get on with it. No such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. There you go. Um, now, you have obviously been embracing nature over the last three years since living in Devon. Um, has that given you a new perspective on looking after the planet and looking after the environment? You know, we are in a little bit of a climate crisis right now. Um, I'm going to be very honest with you, um, India, from having my three younger children, they keep me 
very aware of what's going on very aware my son we had a lady come into school to a school like I said I work in a boarding school and she spoke about the plastic and it my son was five and a half years old and to think that 18 months later he still talks about that he then spoke about face masks you know you know look mommy what can we do we need it to be we need it we can't keep using this stuff and just throwing it away like that you know I've recently done some work with Bolt Gen one of the women's companies that I've been working because they do a lot about sustainable fashion and I think I'm so much more aware of it now mm-hmm. for my kids' future. You know, I, greatest respect, I'm 50 in October. But for their future, we need to start thinking about how is this damaging the earth that they're going to be living on for, mm-hmm. their, for my grandkids. Mm. Yeah, so I'm so much more aware, but because of my children. My children are so sharp and passionate about it. And I think that's, that's a blessing. This, this Gen Z generation, they're so passionate and, and vociferous about so many things and they, they've got every right to be because it's going to affect them and their children mm-hmm. yeah I mean they're wise enough to know that they don't want the planet to be ruined for their future and you know and actually it gives me so much faith in the future because this generation wants a change you know before I used to use something simple as Mr Skippy um, peanut butter and then uh, we did a research on it four or five years ago about the palm oil I've yeah. it again since I'm sure they've improved it since then so you know we use we use um pepper nut or meridian or whatever but just that knowledge of mum that if you use that the amount of orangutans it kills and da, da, da. I just love that knowledge that mm-hmm. even on the simplest things so even not even going outside in your own home mm-hmm. making those small little changes mm-hmm. how much that can impact that's what it's, it's all about just small realistic changes you just know small changes so like going into the into the shop and not buying stuff in plastic trying to you know watching your veg what you buy we've always bought a lot of organic stuff anyway but fortunately for where we live we do a lot of stuff farm shops well, that's such a nice way to shop isn't it you know just buy local so mm. buy locals make sustainability for them you know we've got eggs down the road and if i could take a picture of it where you just leave a pound and you pick up your six eggs yeah so proper free-range eggs from, yeah. But you're supporting the man down the road, the farmer down the road as well. And great for your kids to see exactly where that food is coming from. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I know that you've, you've been talking a lot about your kids and I know that you've got some ideas and how you can share with the world how your family keeps fit with a YouTube channel, Fit Family Robinsons. I know you've already set up an Instagram account. Um, if you could tell us a little bit more about this. So basically... Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier on in, in the conversation that my husband's a former Welsh international rugby player and obviously I'm, a, I'm an Olympian as well. So we've got some three three incredible children and I'm going to say that quite quite proudly. Very, very, <laughs> very talented children and very much into sport and activity. And I, w- I would say it's learned environment. You know, they see us doing stuff together. So we had the benefit of working with um, a company called um, the Qatar Olympic Museum in, in Qatar. And we did some some little videos for them. And from that, we just said, you know what, let's start for Instagram. You know, let's do some, get some videos out on this. So basically, it's just us being active as a family. And because that is an area that I'm so passionate about, because of the mental well-being on children, mm. and more so more than ever, you know, we are about just being active. So we are the, we're an active family with a fit family, Robinsons. And we enjoy, we enjoy working out together. We enjoy kicking a football together, playing rugby together. There's always some of the, there's always going to be somebody that's throwing a tantrum. That wasn't fair. No, I didn't get out. You got out. Oh, I can do more press ups than you. So it's a healthy and competitive environment that we we want to encourage our kids to really keep being active. 
because we understand from the, the levels of, of that where we've got to me and myself and Matt that how much being active has a positive effect and positive impact on your mental well-being mm-hmm. and it's great that you can share with other families you know how you keep fit but also how you have fun and, have fun. and uh, the biggest thing I say to people you know despite the bike and plug in to get a bike we just do it with a bat and ball yeah yeah we, yeah. we, we do it with a bat and ball. The other day we went to my mum's, we didn't, couldn't find a bat and ball. My husband managed to find something in the garden, wrapped it up in, in, in some cellar tape or some, some masking tape that mum had hanging around the house. And we used, we used a saucepan and went to the park and we played it there. We had 48 minutes, because it wasn't quite 50 minutes. I remember looking at the clock saying, come on, we've got to get back now before an hour of fun. Yeah. And that's the things, you know, we, we must really start Again, putting less emphasis on materialistic stuff or more emphasis on make do with what you've got, make it fun. Oh, yeah, so important. And um, it snowed here actually a couple of weeks ago and it never snows because we're by the coast. And we wanted to go sledging, but we didn't have a sledge. So we took our bodyboard, which would normally, you know, we'd be taken out to the sea. Well, we took it up the hills instead and we, and we had a great time. <laughs> improvisation, sustainability as well. Yeah. Again, yeah. talking about that, making do some of the life lessons that we need to encourage our children as well. Not Mm. everything's going to be perfect, guys. Make do with what you've got. Mm -hmm. What can you do with that piece of equipment to make it work for you? Uh, And kids not thinking the only way they can run is by having the best Nike trainers. India, that's one of my biggest things. Yeah. We we have to, as adults, encourage them to see no barriers. Mm. Oh, I can't go and play because I haven't got a tennis record. Okay, but let's try and compromise here. What can we do? What can we make good with? So that, the reason why we started off Fit Family Robinson's was to show families the importance of just having a bit of fun. And like we said, like my, my, my oldest client said to me, God rest his soul, movement is life. Mm. Movement is life. Oh, what a quote. Um, so I asked this to all my guests, looking back at the ripples you've made in your life, what is the biggest lesson you have learned uh, in keeping your mind and body healthy? Vulnerability is strength. Mm. Mm-hmm. admitting when you're down mm-hmm. admitting when you're sad admitting when you need that extra support um i think talking would be my biggest thing communicate and i would say i would urge our listeners out there to when they get off this podcast from listening check in with somebody mm-hmm. check in just give them a call how you doing mm-hmm. and they say yeah fine no no really mm. tell me how you're doing because as British people, we have that stiff upper lip where we don't want to show our emotions because it means that we're weak. Remember, vulnerability is a strength. Mm, yeah, that, that's so beautiful and so true. And, you know, sometimes it can be the people who you think are the strongest are the ones that you need to check in with most. Absolutely. And um, I think that's really poignant to mm-hmm. talk about that. So how do I look after myself? I, if I'm being honest, the last few weeks I had a bereavement. My stepfather passed away. I haven't been looking after myself. Mm. I had the forefront of my mum. Just thinking, how's my mum going to cope and manage? And it's my mum that turned it back round onto me and said, Michelle, you've got three kids, young kids and a husband. You have to keep the ship sailing. Yeah. yeah. Go and look after you. I'm going to be all right. I've got to 80. I'm going to be fine. Yeah, and I bet she feels better knowing that you're looking after yourself. There you go. Because they're not silly. Parents aren't silly. Mm. If they see you down, then you're almost fueling to that fire. Yeah. You're almost fueling to their their hidden anxiety. Whereas if I'm like, right, mummy, that's it. We're up now. 
And I'm not saying we're going to forget about my stepdad because that's not going to happen, but you've got to, you've got to be realistic. And there's going to be days where she has very bad days and where I feel very sad that I've lost my stepdad through COVID. And I'm going to feel desperately sad, but I also know that I can't change that outcome. But what I can control is what I choose to do next. Oh, and what a way to end an awesome episode. Thanks so much, Michelle. Loved hearing your story. And, and if anybody wants to follow your journey, where can they find you? Um, I'm on at Michelle Griffith Robinson on Instagram. Um, Fit Family Robinson's on Instagram for my family. Robinson OLY on Twitter. And Michelle Griffith Robinson on Facebook as well. Um, my website is www.michellegriffithrobinsonoly. I got those OLY letters um, for, uh, about four or five years ago, which is really, oh. I felt really blessed that, you know, yeah. every Olympian was given OLY. So it's www.michellegriffithrobinsonoly.co.uk. But do you know what, guys? I often say to everybody at the end of every podcast, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to me and India. Thank you, India, for having me on. Most importantly, you will find me if you need to find me but find you. Make sure you find you. Yes, make sure you find you. Thanks so much, Michelle. And I can't wait to keep following your ripples through life. Thanks so much for listening to the Starter Ripple podcast. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe and write a review. It helps other like-minded souls find this podcast too. If you want to get in touch, the best way to find me is via Instagram. I'm at underscore India. Or you can look up my wellbeing hub, Finn and Flow. Thanks so much again and speak to you soon. <laughs>